come along, my friend, come along, get aboard and ride this train, nothing on this train to lose, everything to gain, oh, come along, come along, my friend, come along, come on, fine, you know, get aboard, no. you're, you're not, you're not gonna... I'm a preacher. I preach. You grew I, up missionary Baptist just like I did. You have I, Cortez I pray. deep down in your bones. I prophesy. Goodbye. Shade is full of heavy worship. <laughs> She's full of heavy worship. She's a strong alto. Okay? Strong one. That's what's wrong with us, man. Some of y'all didn't grow up. With quartet music and it shows. Listen. It shows. You didn't grow up with your grandmama cleaning the house on a Saturday. Canton Spiritual. Hmm. Um, who is it? Elsie Williams. Lee Williams. Lee Williams. And, and, a, spiritual, LC. <laughs> and, a, and spiritual a spiritual QC. QCs. What is a spiritual QC? Quality control. Really? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Get out. They don't know nothing um, about the caravan. Cooling water. Ooh, uh, the, the William Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ken Spirituals were it, man. Come from a poor family. We didn't have much. But the Lord been good to me. He's been good. Singing in the heavenly choir. Oof. Singing in. Harvey and his daddy. Oh, God. Come sing it, daddy. <laughs> Oh, God. I found a wife. <laughs> the other drum when his daddy died. I'm depending on you to pull the Listen. family through. Uh, I recommend Jesus. I recommend Jesus. I recommend Jesus. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. For all your To the let out where we are still hanging out in Nutbush city limits. <laughs> and Church the people. house in house. <laughs> School house out house. On our way, not my night time. Night time. The purple city clear. 
Gotta put some stank on it, Tina. That was awful. Like, what, what type of... Just, <laughs> what kind of trauma have you gone through, Ike? Whenever, whenever I think about Nutbush City, I think about um, the color purple. Santa's got soul too, Paul. Get out. <laughs> I was married now. Sam. I, I, I said I was married now. Suge's daddy wanted nothing to do with her. She had the nasty woman's disease. I hate it. <laughs> what, what, what was the nasty woman's disease? VD. Syphilis. <laughs> All the, all the kids got the same daddy. I can vouch for that. Yeah, vouch for that. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Jesus. If you, if you can't quote random lines from Color Purple or Friday After Next. Something's wrong. I don't trust you. Yeah. To this day, <laughs> we can walk through a door and I will literally say, it's big in here. <laughs> no, you big in here. You're <laughs> nah, you <laughs> you big. <laughs> you need to get that lined up. You don't worry about it. I know somebody like you. <laughs> you ain't right, Miss Pearly, down here trying to get my daddy VD. <laughs> Nasty woman's disease. What is her name? I am McBride. Who are you, Clown? Jesus! I am Martin. And who oh God? <sighs> I need to laugh because these past 48 hours. It's been hard. Have been heart-wrenching. Jesus. Anguishing. My God. I don't even think there's any way to adequately set up what there is to talk about. Yeah. We just got to jump into it. All right, so let's jump in. So the Royals are getting caught up in some fugazi. Yes, the Royals, okay? So the FBI and prosecutors with the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York Mm -hmm. contact Prince Andrew's lawyer to interview the prince about Jeffrey Epstein. But they have provided zero cooperation, according to the U.S. Attorney, Goffrey Behrman. So just to give you a little backdrop about who Prince Andrew is, he is actually the second son, the youngest son of Queen Elizabeth in Buckingham Palace. Okay, so just to put all of this together. So he is Harry and them uncle. Okay. He's their uncle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he's second in line to the throne. Hmm. Yeah. So Harry's and them father is third. No, he's he's first in line. To oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay, all right. So in November, Britain's Prince Andrew was said that he was willing to help any any appropriate law enforcement agency with their investigation if required. After he appeared on the BBC and was questioned about his relationship with Epstein and the allegations, he had sexual encounters with an underage girl. So to bring you up to speed about Epstein, so remember a couple of episodes ago, we ended up doing um, a whole conversation on Jeffrey Epstein. um, This powerful man, money, all of that good stuff was actually selling little boys and little girls to the highest bidders. Um, He ended up going to jail. Well, he goes to jail and he says, fam, I'm snitching. I ain't going down by myself. And he ends up 
allegedly committing suicide. They killed him. Okay. And the report came out that we talked about it. We said what we said. Hello. They killed. They got rid of him. All right. Um. So he says it's fair for the people to know whether Prince Andrew has followed through with that public commitment commitment Behrman said at a news conference Monday outside of Epstein's Manhattan mansion to date Prince Henry or Prince Andrew has provided zero cooperation CNN has reached out to Buckingham Palace for a comment but neither Buckingham Palace nor um, Prince Andrew has released a statement Behrman said prosecutors are continuing to investigate individuals who helped Epstein carry out an alleged multi-year sex trafficking operation of underage girls. He declined to say when any charges might be brought. Prince Andrew faces alleged uh, allegations stemming from his relationship with Epstein, who died by apparent suicide in August of 2019 while awaiting trial on federal charges that he sexually abused underage girls and ran a sex trafficking rink. One of Epstein's accusers, Virginia Robert Gerfer, um, has alleged that she was forced into sexual encounters with the prince while she was underage. Um, in a 2015 federal court filing, Gerfer alleged Epstein forced her to perform sexual acts with several prominent men, including Prince Andrew in 2001. And all of them have denied the allegations. Now, here's the tee So, along with Prince Andrew saying that he's never met this girl, he's never seen this girl, he apologized to this girl, but he don't know her. There's a picture that has surfaced has. literally with Prince Andrew having his arms around a very young Virginia Roberts. So he pulled the R. Kelly. He pulled the R. Kelly. Because R. Kelly for years said that it wasn't me. Yep. And now with the picture surfacing, Prince Andrew is now saying, yeah, the picture is actually doctored. So I don't know what to believe with this. So not only did he say the picture was doctored, but didn't he resign? He did. He um, asked the queen could he step back from royal duty. So before um, this current prince. Um, Harry. Yeah. Before Harry actually said to him and his girl were going to step back, his uncle stepped back. So they literally have been getting it from every side. From every side. So that's crazy. So that takes him out of place as number two, two. Mm-hmm. and the other brother uh that ain't got no hair yeah was uh princess diana's oldest son i forget his name yeah but he ain't got no hair so he should be next in line if his Jesus. uncle prince andrew had stepped back i personally think the queen of england i don't know if yeah, i think she, she's a reptilian she gonna get caught up i think I she's a reptilian you think she going home in a rapture? Bum, bum. How can she go home in a rapture if she's not human? Okay. Too far? You know, I think she's a reptilian. Remember that Super Mario Brothers movie that came out in the 90s? And it was like reptiles in human form. Interesting. I feel like she's a reptilian. You're stupid. Waiting for the succession, mm-hmm. like the royal succession in Britain literally has to be the equivalent of a virgin, a Christian virgin with the rapture. Now, wait a minute, God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you hold out. (laughs) Just for the trumpets to blow. And 
then right before you get it, like you get it in, get down with the get down, is with a twinkling of an eye. And you mighty more from Power Ranger, you Ooh, you around yes. the throne. Help God. Like that literally has to be we the We shall behold <laughs> That literally has to be the equivalent of waiting for the royal succession. Like fam, she you will not and won and won. She will not cross over. She said she ain't going nowhere. The queen said, where we about to eat at? <laughs> what is next? Sick of you. I mean, like she she is holding on. My God. Some, <laughs> some like their eggs scrambled and stolen. Jesus. So an Arizona woman cannot use frozen embryos fertilized by her ex-husband to have children and has to donate them according to a ruling by the state's Supreme Court. Ruby Torres had her eggs fertilized before undergoing cancer treatment in 2014, court documents said. At the time, she and her then-boyfriend, John Joseph Terrell, signed an agreement at the fertility clinic that said if they split up, the embryos could not either could either be donated to another couple or used by one of them to have children, but only with the express written consent of both parties. The couple marries days later and underwent um, in vitro fertilization. Um, After that, the viable embryos were frozen and stored away. Torres's chemotherapy caused a significant drop in her reproductive function, court documents said. Uh, They divorced in 2017, kicking off a very long court battle. On one side is Torres, who wants to keep the embryos. On the other side is Terrell, who doesn't want to father any children with his ex-wife and wants the embryos to be donated. A family court initially ruled in Terrell's favor, saying his right to not be compelled to be a parent outweighs Torres's right to procreate and desire to have a biologically related child. An appeals court then overturned the family court's decision and ruled in Torres's favor. In its ruling on Thursday, the Arizona Supreme Court pointed to the contract and the condition that says that the embryos cannot be used to produce pregnancy against the wishes of the partner. The court said that it was cognizant of the unavoidable emotional fallout that could come from the decision, but because the couple couldn't come to an agreement, the court said under the contract, the court could only direct donation of the embryos. These are extremely difficult and emotional issues, so it's best for couples to make decisions ahead of time. And that was what happened in this case, said Eric M. Frazier, who is Joseph Terrell's attorney in a statement on CNN. He goes on to say that the Arizona Supreme Court enforced their contract, which gives much needed certainty to other couples around the state that courts will respect the decisions that you make. An attorney for Torres has not responded to CNN's request for comment. Her lawyer, Stanley Murray, told the CNN affiliate that even the courts couldn't agree on an interpretation of the couple's contract. 
he says that it just shows that even attorneys can't agree on what this particular contract provided. Listen, I feel like this is so problematic because it, why are we policing these women's, women's bodies? bodies? Yep. But I also understand it in some regard. You know, him and her both, they went into an agreement. He permitted his sperm, you know, to fertilize her eggs and let's freeze these. We are planning on doing life together. We're going to beat cancer. She beats cancer, but the relationship didn't work out. And he's like, I don't want to be tied to you at all. So I'm even thinking through if, you know, she did impregnate herself with the the fertilized embryos and she gives birth. Um, what does that mean for him? Like, will he have to, you know, be on child support? Or, like, what does that mean? Because that child is 50% his DNA, and he is responsible for bringing this child into the world. So, could it even be a curtail point where she says, I won't do anything, I just want this child for myself? You get what I'm saying? A lot of people, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, When... Um, they go through artificial insemination. They yeah. don't want anything from the other party. Yeah. They just want the baby. And then, too, he could just be out here being malicious. Yeah. I think you better leave, leave me alone. Come on, ideal. Take your bags, bags, get the hell on, get gone. Because I don't want you no more. Come on, man. Didn't he, didn't he say something about he was taking the, the house, the car, the kids, the dog? I, I, I want it all. That's a whole nother that's song. Whole, that's profile. That's liar. profile. That's right. You're a liar, a cheater, cheater deceiver, deceiver heartbreak. heartbreak. I want your back, back my life. Yeah. So I'm taking the house, the, house, the car, car, the kids, kids the dog. dog. I, I want it all. all. I'm going to go listen to that. You are right with me. We was out here singing them breakup songs at the age of six. What are you taking other than these doo-doo skid mark draws? But going back to what we was talking about, I cringe when I think about them policing women's bodies and, like, women's tissue and... Yeah, like... It's it's the same... It's the same... It's the same nuts and bolts of... This abortion mm-hmm. outcry. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Policing the bodies of women. And we make it okay to police women's bodies. And it's okay, quote unquote, to police the bodies um, of women because we view, honestly, in America, we view women as property and not people. That's historical, though. Is. And it's the same thing when you look at race relations. Um, Sidebar, um, over the past couple of weeks, um, there was a photo that went out with Beyonce, um, Meg, Meg the Stallion, and Blue Ivy. And people were literally bullying Blue Ivy. She's she's an eight-year-old, guys. Yeah. Saying, you know, she looks like a gorilla. First of all, wow. she's a child. Wow. And the fact that we don't feel like, number one, we don't have to protect children. She's a child. a child. 
And historically, it goes over and over and over again that in the media, in society, we don't view black and brown babies as babies. babies. That's true. That's true. So it's easy for someone to comment on the facial structure of of a blue ivy and to say all of these egregious things concerning her physical appearance. And then a police officer, a rogue police officer, can shoot a kid in cold blood in the middle of a street because we don't view him as a child. They see him as a man, a a, a black man. Yeah. Wow. We don't see so women. We don't see women as people. We see them as property, and we don't see black and brown babies as children. We we see them as adults. As adults. As adults. And because we see them as adults, we don't feel compelled to, to protect, protect them. them. And you know what? To be honest, to be fair, I don't think that that's a a, a full out black community thing. I think that that's something that has been projected onto us by culture. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of these kids grew up not listening to quartet music, I'm going there. Mm-hmm. Or they did not grow up being raised by grandparents that told them, don't point your finger at a cemetery. And, you know, when cars are coming by the caravan, with the family cars are coming you by, take you your take your hat off. Or, you know, don't as speak a, ill of, of the, the dead. dead. Yeah, like, because they weren't raised with those types of norms, you can actually see there's a whole nother level of unrest, civil unrest that is taking place within this new age generation of young people. So let me crack down on a blue ivy so that I can go viral on social media. Let me get these likes. Let me get these hee hee ha ha's and none of these laughters, none of these likes, none of these retweets or whatever is adding any substantial amount of money into your pocket. You just went viral for doing something dumb. And not just that, we're taking this cancel culture, this heartless, non-empathetic whatever, and it's like we're celebrating poor behavior. Yep. And we're literally... And we're making it. We're okay. making we're making it okay, and we're making people famous and bringing them levels of notoriety for stuff like this. That is a baby. She's a baby, wow. and it's literally all all over social media. All over social media. Wow, I missed that one. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Stop. Oh. Go ahead, cause we were. I was. I felt it. It was about to be a soapbox. It's your podcast. Go on and read, fam. All right. Cause. So moving on. Mm-hmm. You're contagious. What? Don't touch me, baby. I don't want what you got. Yes. So the death toll <laughs> for the Wuhan coronavirus now stands at eighty. Coronavirus. Yes. You kill me setting up stories with these parenthetical pauses. It blesses me. (laughs) Say what you need to say. The death toll for the Wuhan 
Coronavirus now stands at 80 with almost 2,800 cases confirmed across China as the country initiates emergency procedures to try and rein in the pathogen's global spread. Making that task more difficult is the fact that the virus can be spread before any symptom appears. So before you even know you got the coronavirus, it done took over your body, okay? Chinese health authorities said Sunday, meaning carriers may not realize they are infected before they transmit the virus to others. Across China, 15 cities with a combined population of over 50 million people, more than the entire population of South Korea, have been placed under a full or partial lockdown. Wuhan itself has effectively quarantined with all routes in and out of the city closed or highly regulated. The government announced it is sending an additional 1,200 health workers along with 135 People's Liberation Army medical personnel to help the city stretch the hospital staff. So I was listening to NPR earlier today and there was actually an interview that was being done with one of the hospitalists and this lady is like in full out weep saying how their hospitals are now being overrun by people with this virus and they have the capacity to take in over you know 1,000 patients and she's saying they're understaffed in such a way that per 10 patients they have one doctor and these doctors are not permitted to rest I would lose my job fam cause you're not sending me in the Wuhan, Wuhan, Wu-Tang, <laughs> nothing. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to bump with. I'm not, skip me. So what you gonna do when they lock you inside the hospital? Because that's basically what they're having to do. They are, they are literally having to quarantine the people. And a part of being quarantined is that they lock you into a building. Ain't no way in it. Excuse me? Ain't no, I said that. Ain't no way <laughs> in hell. <laughs> I am getting... You're going to jail. That way. <laughs> Sit. Take me to jail. <laughs> Throw <laughs> away the key. <laughs> so Wuhan's mayor, Zhao Quang Wang, said on Sunday. Oh, oh, <laughs> Wuhan mayor, Zhao Quang Hang. Wang. Kane Wang. That's her name. Kane Wang. Lou Kane from Mortal Kombat. Shut up. <laughs> Yo, Mortal Kombat was the jam, though. It was. Liu Kang. <laughs> Raiden. Fight. <laughs> anyway, Wuhan's mayor, Zhao Kane Wang, said on Sunday that the number of cases could rise by another thousand. The disease has also spread widely across China with almost 70 cases confirmed in the capital, Beijing, including a nine-month-old girl, the youngest known case to be confirmed so far. China has extended the Lunar Year, the Lunar New Year holiday um, to February the 2nd in an attempt to dissuade people from traveling and spreading the virus further. Also, almost all mass celebrations for the festival have been canceled and authorities have urged people to avoid holding traditional large family gatherings. So you can't even meet up with your people and have family reunion because of the, the, the coronavirus, right? Shanghai's government said Monday that all businesses in the city should remain shut until February 9th. Schools in the cities have been suspended until February 17th and quarantine inspections for workers returning to the city have been strengthened. 
Wuhan's mayor, Zhao Kangwang, said on Sunday that the number of cases could rise again by thousands. The only things that will be open within the cities are businesses that the government deemed to be vital to the operation of China's biggest cities, such as gas stations, pharmacies, supermarkets. Um, they will be allowed to remain open according to the municipal government um, of China. Listen, I, I, you know, we've always read about plagues hitting cities and hitting groups of people from a historical perspective, but this is low-key a modern-day plague. Fam, literally all I could think about being playing the devil's advocate, all that I could think about is what if this is the onset of what could very well turn into biological warfare? Could it be biological warfare? For real? Or could this be a form of population control? Because... I want to say with sociologists, they were saying how in China, the population has gone through such a boom. Families were actually murdering daughters, newborn daughters, because girls contribute to the boom of said populations. That's crazy. They were giving them away. If the mother found out that she was pregnant with a girl, she would abort it. So could this be a form of population control put on by their government? And furthermore, oh okay. Last time I checked, the only thing that go with a corona is a line. You know, too far. Maybe a little margarita salt. It's your podcast. I'm not, a coronavirus. One, why is it called a coronavirus? And from what I understand, this virus literally gives you bubble goods. Does excessive diarrhea with uh, a fever. Of uh, up to 104. Short, shortness of breath. And then, like, you die. What a way to go with an explosive butt being cooked from the inside out. That was too far? That was very vivid. I mean, but that's what it is. Your butt has exploded and you're cooking from the inside out. When I die, let me die speaking in tongues. Hold my soul. No. Okay. What's next? (laughs) What? I try not to laugh at you. Because my laughter substantiates. Sometimes you gotta laugh to keep crying. There's just so much going on in the world. <laughs> and this is why I don't talk to you. My God. Yeah. This is alarming, especially with the fact that it has made its way into the United States and how uh, the flu has been sweeping through the city. It literally looks like a common cold, like the flu. Sade, this retrovirus flu, this joint is on steroids and smoking weed, okay? 
I've never heard of the flu causing people to go blind and paralyzing them from the neck down. What kind of flu is this? It's definitely the Justice League flu. And y'all out here want to, never mind, I'm going to say it. Y'all out here want to exchange bodily fluids? <laughs> this is not the time. I barely want to pray for people. Like, you remember them things that uh, people used to pick up trash mm-hmm. off the uh, the sidewalk with? Mm-hmm. I literally will extend. <laughs> I will extend that thing <laughs> to pray for you. Like, don't touch me. You know what broke me up from being so quick to pray for people? That time I was second that woman through deliverance and she threw up. And yeah. you got up and left. I breathed in her throat. I said, uh-uh. In Jesus' name, I seal you up. I walked Jeez. off. Are you okay? <laughs> we told you specifically, don't eat nothing before coming. Oh, God. It smelled like she had packs of doo-doo <laughs> stuffed down in her throat. I remember Mm-mm. that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You can't have the spirits. What you doing? 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 Fam, you were in full warfare. Rob my soul. We have some stories. Ooh-wee. Oh, God. And it would take you to see me do it. <laughs> now I'm sitting up here thinking I'm being discreet. Fam, I am your sister. <laughs> we have nonverbal communication. <laughs> well, Sunday, never mind. I, I'll tell you. i tell you. 50% of our communication is not verbal. You didn't, you didn't pick me up Sunday. You didn't pick me up Sunday. I was literally having nonverbal communication with you. And you would not look at me. Would not. <laughs> would not. Because I seen that tear <laughs> come out the corner of your eye. And I said, nope. We're going to stay focused in the wave of glory. I'm not looking over. Mm-mm. You would not look at me. Would <gasps> not. Sick of you. The only Paula we acknowledge is Patton. That part. Paula White. Oh, God. Donald Trump's spiritual advisor, Paula White Kane, defended herself on Sunday against criticism over a prayer she made earlier this month in which she asked for, quote, all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. Wait. Wait. We we do have the soundbite of this prayer. Do. Okay, okay. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. She says that her words were taken, quote, out of context for political gain. In a pair of tweets, Paula White shared a clip of her January 5th sermon before congregants at her City of Destiny Church in Apopka, Florida, which was also formerly pastored by the late Zachary Thames. Yeah. That's a whole, That's a whole other conversation. Wow. 
So in this clip mm. by Right Wing Watch, a group that monitors and exposes the activities of radical right-wing political organizations, the pastor shakes her arms as she delivers the prayer. She says, in the name of Jesus, we command all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. We declare that anything that has been conceived in satanic wounds, that it'll miscarry, that it will not be able to carry forth any plan of destruction, any plan of harm. White, who leads the White House Faith uh, and Opportunity Initiative, which was formerly held by Omarosa, she mm. defended, you didn't know that. Jesus. Yeah, she got fired and then Paula White came in. That's a whole nother talk show. Is. Wow. So Paula defended the prayer in the tweets writing that she doesn't usually issue such responses, but that the prayer had been taken out of context. She says, I was praying Ephesians 6, 12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, anything that has been conceived by demonic plans for it to be canceled and not prevail in your life. Adding in a second tweet, uh, that any plans to hurt people, um, that prayer was directed towards. She goes on to say, let's be clear what's really going on. This is a disingenuous attempt to use words out of context for political gain. I'll just keep praying, she says. Vivid language and references to Bible, uh, to battles with supernatural forces, often called spiritual warfare, are common themes in Pentecostalism, which is White's branch of Christianity. The verse that she cited in her tweet is, of course, Ephesians 6 and 12, which states, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, according to the King James Version of the Bible. In a full recording of the service published by the church, White can also be seen praying that any strange winds that have been sent to hurt the church, sent against this nation, sent against our president, sent against herself, sent against others, we break it by the superior blood of Jesus right now. The prayer was criticized on social media by several users, including James Martin, a Jesuit priest who wrote, no pregnancies are satanic. Every child is a gift from God. No one should ever pray for any woman to miscarry. No one should ever pray for evil or harm to befall another person, he tweeted on Sunday. Several users wrote in support of Paula White Kane, suggesting that she wasn't making a literal argument argument. CNN has reached out to the White House and to uh, White for comment and it has gone unanswered. <sighs> this is absolutely a conundrum it of is. It massive, really is. Yeah. massive proportions because first of all, the spiritual wickedness in high places that Paula, you are, you are praying for. Ma'am, you are employed by. Like, let's start there. So you're literally praying against the destruction of your employer. Got it. Make, make that make sense, Paula. Furthermore, can you really fault 
coming against criticism from a culture who primarily doesn't have the spirit of God to even discern spiritual matters or even have the insight or the uh, the ability to make sense of what spiritual yes yeah, spiritual matters mm-hmm. furthermore if you were to strip the carrier of said prayer and how you feel about the person who prayed the prayer if we were to drop that prayer independent of the personality that yeah. said it if we were to take that prayer and drop it into any kind of corporate prayer setting situations the church would go up in a roar do you have the prayer let's let's do, listen to it do any self-serving action god let pride fall let pride fall let pride fall let pride fall in the name of jesus we command all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now we declare that anything that's been conceived in satanic wombs that it'll miscarry it will not be able to carry forth any plan of destruction any plan of harm because I, I agree with you. If we were to, you know, link up and do a prayer cipher and we pray through that, we'd be like, oh, my God. But because it's Paula White. That part. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I, I think that this is also an instance when praying the scripture and praying out of context goes wrong and goes bad very quick. Um, yes, we are intercessors. Yes, we absolutely believe in praying the word of God and we believe in applying the word of God to certain situations. But even in all of your grand anointing and power and might, there's still a level of responsibility where you must be aware of what you permit to come out of your mouth, what it is that you permit to go into certain spheres um, and into certain environments of influence because you never know how people are interpreting what you are saying, you know, even before you open up your mouth, people, they're looking at the way that you treat other folk. Mm-hmm. They're looking at the way that you dress. They're Come looking on. at the way that you, what you drive. They're looking at your influence outside of that ministry moment. Um, so when Paula prayed this prayer, all of her mess, all of the stuff that she had done prior to this moment, it showed up with her in that room. So yeah, she, she was definitely going to be open to a level of scrutiny. Now, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not necessarily saying that it's wrong, but, but I do believe that for Paula, um, ma'am of God, there must be another level of awareness. And not just that. When you're praying those types of prayers. Not just that, fam. We often have personal banter between you and I where we talk about, uh, we make reference to rather uh, Melvin from Baby Boy who mm-hmm. talks about guns and guns butter. And, butter. Um, and we liken that to our training mm-hmm. with intercessors where we talk about um, authority and power. Mm-hmm. We talk about dunamis and exousia. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the fact that dunamis is like dynamite. Yes, ma'am. And um, exousia authority mm-hmm. are keys. Mm-hmm. And there are instances where we take dunamis or dynamite to 
situations that cause for keys and vice versa. So you as an intercessor have to position yourself to exude enough wisdom to elucidate between whether or not you have to use dynamite or Or keys. keys. But you also have to have enough wisdom um, and insight to give an account for the times that we live in because even though this was in a church setting Mm -hmm. because it was available on the world wide web fam people are watching people are looking and they're looking for things to be offended about but we lose the game when people who are looking to be offended with us we end up being offended and we answer them in offense. In offense. Yep. As an intercessor, not just as an intercessor, but as, as a, a believer, believer. Yes, you ma'am. have to endeavor yourself to be unoffendable. Yep. There is a book That's so good by uh Brant Hansen that is absolutely it is practical, but it is revolutionary. Um he suggests in this book that um the nuts and bolts of being unoffendable is mercy Mm. that mercy undercuts Mm -hmm. offense when you put yourself Mm -hmm. in a place to see people for who they really are you rob yourself or you bankrupt yourself of the right to To be be offended offended with them that's so good and there are so many people out there who say that they pray i'm an intercessor you can be you full of offense peter pop off you can be xena warrior princess in the spirit but if you're out here saying that you are fighting against principalities powers and spiritual wickedness in high places but you carry offense with your brother with your sister you are number one out of order and you are ineffective as an intercessor david says if i regard iniquity Iniquity in in my my heart, heart the lord will not hear me so i would beg to differ that while we have so many people out here proclaiming that they are intercessors i pray i do all this fam everybody ain't praying because some of y'all are way too offended to be praying as much as you you do I say all the time, the wonderful thing about prayer is prayer has a trap door. Listen. And that trap door is mercy. Listen. When you get into a posture of prayer and you begin to pray and intercede, not just for people um, and situations, but pray for yourself mercy begins to bubble up on the inside of you you. and there's no way that you can remain offended with people there's no way that you can feed into and maintain living thriving grudges with people and you are genuinely praying through for them again somebody's lying it's impossible it's impossible and furthermore before prayer changes the situation it changes you it changes you absolutely it changes you so um i don't know and a lot of people honestly opt out of prayer changing them because they want to hold on to their right to be right we don't want to be changed we want to be heard we want to be right and we, we see that with all even. of these dang on facebook posts oh absolutely clearly a lot of y'all that call yourselves prophets you know the next wonder and intercept the greatest thing that you can do for yourself right now is to come up off of social media and get your journal please 
That part. Please. All right, everybody, take a real deep breath. Breathe in and breathe out. Look at you sounding like your pastor. Mamba out. The loss of an icon, a father, a husband, a man, and his daughter. NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven others were killed in a helicopter crash on a steep hillside in dense morning fog in Southern California on Sunday. His sudden death at the age of 41, touching off an outpouring of grief for a star whose celebrity transcended basketball. The chopper went down in Calabasa, about 30 miles northwest of downtown Los Angeles. Authorities said that nine people were aboard the helicopter and were presumed dead. Brian, an all-time basketball great who spent his entire 20-year career with the Los Angeles Lakers, was amongst the was amongst the victims. A person familiar with the situation told the Associated Press. News of the charismatic superstar's death rocketed across sports and the entertainment world, um, with many taken to Twitter to register their shock, their disbelief, and anguish. First of all, allow us to pause and to say that our thoughts, our prayers, our hearts... Fam, everything that we have is with Vanessa Bryant and those three babies. Those babies that are left with her. I cannot fathom or imagine. I there are some things that you just you don't there are no words. There's nothing left. Yeah. And this is a moment where it it not only takes your words it 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 takes your breath, breath away yeah um yeah we are praying for Vanessa Bryant and it would behoove you as intercessors um and believers alike who are um listening to us on this podcast to take um a moment throughout your day every day um to pray through for pray through for this oh my god for this family and not just Vanessa Bryant but the family members of those other uh people who were on board um there was an entire family that died mom dad and and daughter daughter. yeah you know there were I believe it was was a mother and daughter uh, mother and daughter yeah that died on the plane as well um it, it's it's very unfortunate, and oftentimes, um, just to be honest, we're left with questioning God. Why did this have to happen, and why did it have to happen the way that it happened? Um, and to no avail, we are left with no answers. Um, and I don't I don't believe that that's that there's anything wrong with that. Oftentimes, God's silence is the space that has been given to us to experience our humanity because we oftentimes try to overly spiritualize what happens within a human encounter or the human you know day-to-day experience and this is just one of those things where we may never get the answers we may never authentically hear from God about what happened and I believe one we should not try to hear from God about what happened but secondly I believe that it's okay if God remains silent in this Think about the crucifixion of Christ. 
those three days, God, God was silent. And not only that, <laughs> when you think of covenant, covenant has mm-hmm. ebbs and yes, there, it does. There, there are ebbs and flows. Oh yes, there are highs, um, peaks, and there are valleys mm-hmm. within the context of covenant. And to be a believer means that there are moments where you find yourself in a situation like Jacob when he. Uh, crossed over the Jordan, leaving Gilgal and Mm -hmm. the text records in Genesis where he sent his family away and he wrestled with the angel Mm. until the morning. There comes times in your walk with God, your journey with God, your covenant relationship with the Lord, where you find yourself wrestling with his decisions, wrestling with what he allows, wrestling with God's sovereignty. Yeah. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Even when you read text um, in the New Testament, Paul says, and we know that all All things things work work together together. for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That comes from a man who at some point had to wrestle with the sovereignty of the Lord. Lord. That is a real thing. But here's the thing. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It is a part of the human experience. experience. Christ wrestled with God. God. If it be in your will, allow this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So woe to you all that are out here talking about where were the prophets and where were the intercessors and where were the seers. Fam, that wasn't meant to be seen. I don't even think that that was something that that was meant to be prayed against. To be honest, I can't even call this premature death. What if this was the will of God for them to go the way that they went? And because of the ages or, you know, they weren't old people and there was so much life to live and all of this good stuff, we automatically go to the default of the enemy is busy and the enemy snatched them out and, you know, it's time for the intercessors to wake up because people are being snatched out. And it's like, no. What what if that was literally the will of the father for a 13-year-old to go out that way? And while we cannot Mm -hmm. readily comprehend or make sense of that, the Bible says that the ways of the Lord Mm -hmm. are above ours Mm -hmm. as far as um, the heavens are above the earth so far um, or so higher are uh, the ways of God above our ways. His ways are not our ways. Mm -hmm. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And again, there are moments where as a human, you wrestle with the sovereignty of God. And it is okay to wrestle with the sovereignty of God. And thinking about Kobe's death, I think the only framework our generation has had with this level of tragedy on this magnitude is honestly Aaliyah's death. I remember I was in the eighth grade in the band room when we found out Aaliyah died. And that was horrible. Do you remember where you were when you found out when Aaliyah? I was in a band rehearsal. You were in band too? Wow. Drumline. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't think that our generation has a, a level of framework 
when it comes to dealing with death um, on this magnitude. And to be honest, I don't think that many of us really have a framework of not only facing death, but also walking through the grieving process of of what it looks like and how the grieving process isn't always connected to death. Grieving processes can also be directly connected to whenever change is taking place. Um, Whenever a woman um, gets pregnant, that's a grieving process because now her body has to change. She has to now switch up and become accommodating for something that's growing in her body or a family that has never had a child. That's a grieving process because now you have to switch up your sleeping pattern, your sleeping rhythm. You have to take into consideration feeding another mouth. Although it is a celebratory moment, you still live in a level of dispense that is rooted in grieving. And I don't think that we've, as a generation, um, have not only mastered but really been taught how to grieve. Grief is absolutely the soul's way of expelling waste. That's yeah. That's a human experience. Yeah. And within the context of black culture, we tell our little boys, man up. Don't cry. Man up. You're a man, don't cry. Man and up. those are the same little boys who grow into grown men Mm -hmm. who are bound by arrested development Mm -hmm. because they were never able to mature or come to some form of emotional maturation because it was drilled into them to be emotionless. So how can we, it, it, it almost, it feels like um, a catch 22 because we we see a generation who lacks empathy but can we really blame them looking at this generation through the eyes of mercy can we really blame them for lacking empathy when they were groomed to, by to a soulless. generation who didn't know how to grieve themselves mm-hmm. but to also be soulless Unpack that. Okay, so we believe that the soul is the seat of the will, our intentions, and also our emotions. Mm-hmm. For me to encounter a human experience that permits me to have a visceral emotional response, but I'm immediately told, uh uh-uh, uh, mm-hmm. don't cry, uh uh-uh, uh, suck that up, uh uh-uh, uh, pack that away, you are literally beheading parts of my soul. So eventually I grew up learning to be a soulless man or woman. I know how to function in the art of my intentions. I intend to be rude to you. I intend to be mean to you. I intend to backstab you. I understand the soul from the perspective of my will. Nobody can control me and nobody can tell me what to do because I can do what I want. I can do what I want. But then when it comes down to the space of my emotions, I don't know how to be an emotional an emotional human that's sober because throughout my developmental stages, I have been consistently beheaded. So now I am a soulless man or a soulless woman attempting to do life. And not just that, when you do that, I believe wholeheartedly when 
you minimize someone's experience yes. or you invalidate their feelings, their emotions, that's an act of violence. It's an act of violence. So the result of these repetitive acts of violence is we are um, wiring a generation who has a predisposition for mental illness. A callous being, soul. Being non-empathetic is a classic characteristic of a sociopath mm-hmm. of, a of, a, of a narcissistic so we have these individuals who um, are um, giving off signs of narcissism um, being psychopaths mm-hmm. sociopaths mm-hmm. and then you have someone get saved so they are soulless men and women. Mm-hmm. So they come into the context of a Christian worldview and these people turn into charismatic psychopaths, mm-hmm. charismatic sociopaths. Ooh. We, we won't name names. We will, we will not name names, but I absolutely, Jim I absolutely Jones agree. was a charismatic, um, Hex. psychopath. Yes. Hex is. Ooh. Uh-huh. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yep. Say mm. line, say less. Say line and say less. So for those of you all that may be encountering the grieving process, we just want to give you some tips on how to navigate through the grieving process. So one of the things that is believed from a mental health perspective is that there are seven stages to the grieving process. Number one is shock and denial. It's a state of disbelief and the numbing of feelings. Um, number two is the pain and guilt, um, where you may have experienced the loss that is unbearable and you're making um, other people's lives harder because of your own feelings and needs. Mm-hmm. Number three is anger and bargaining. It's where we begin to lash out and we begin to tell God um, what we would do, um, that we would literally do anything that God would ask us to if God was willing to bring that person back, if God was willing to bring that person through. Um, number four is depression. Uh, this may be a period of isolation and loneliness during which we process and reflect on the loss. Number five is the upward turn. At this point, um, within the, the stage of grief, it's like anger and pain um, have died down and we're in a more calm and relaxed state. So you've gone through the whole fallout part. Now you're you're calm you know, with it. Um, number six is the reconstruction and working through. At this stage, uh, we can begin to put the pieces of our lives back together and carry forward with the absence of that person. You're no longer stuck um, mulling over them no longer being here. And then finally, number seven, um, the last stage is called hope and acceptance. Um, This is a very gradual acceptance of the new way of life um, and a feeling of the possibility of the future, right? Um, Within these seven stages, mental health workers believe that you can be in any one of these stages, either simultaneously or individually on its own, but it's not like you have to go through step one to get to step two. Some some of us immediately go into stage three, the, the anger and the bargaining. We bypass stage one and stage two. Um, for some of us, we go automatically into the upward turn, you know, where we begin to rejoice over the, the individual's life and celebrate their lives. So, um, 
These seven stages are literally just telltale signs to give us identifiers to know where we are within our grieving process, but to also know that it is absolutely okay to grieve. One of the things that I do from a pastoral care perspective or just being a faith practitioner is that whenever I'm dealing with individuals that are going through a level of grief, especially surrounding the death of an individual, I tell them to find some of the deceased's favorite things, you know, their favorite candy, their favorite food, their favorite music, their favorite TV shows, and just literally spend a day engaging in some of the favorites those individuals liked. Like, find a moment to engage in some of their favorites, but engaging in their favorites from a celebratory um, place. You know, celebrating the fact that they had been around, celebrating the fact that they did live, celebrating the fact that God permitted your paths to cross in whatever way God chose to do it. It's something, it's hard for sure, but it gives you an opportunity to pause and to actually celebrate their life and not necessarily hang on to the death um, or just that small phase of them no longer being here. Um, when we deal with individuals that have gone home through um, tragedy um, events, you know, creating safe space for their loved ones or those that are left behind to be viscerally human, to allow them to be angry with God, allow them to be mad, allow them to question. Don't try to push them beyond the moment and don't try to Jesus them through. Listen. I think that that's one of the worst things that can ever be done to somebody that's grieving is we as faith practitioners step into a role and we try to Jesus them through. Don't Jesus my grief down to the grave because even Jesus will. Selah. And not only that, even Jesus said, um, it was said of Jesus rather, that we have not a high priest Hello. that cannot be touched with the feeling Hello. of our infirmity. And I say it all the time, that phrase, feeling of our infirmity, translates in Greek to sympatheo, which means sympathy. It's mm -hmm. sympathy. It's where we get the mm -hmm. English word sympathy from. Yes. That means that we have a chief intercessor who sympathizes with us yep. and does not invalidate how we feeling at all. How we're feeling. He does not uh he does not minimize nope. or behead our emotions. He says, Hey, I see that you're feeling this way. And feel it. Feel it. I felt it. Feel it. And then when you're done, let's move. And not just that, dealing with um, grief, I think that it is very important for us to say in this moment that it is okay for you to grieve someone that you have never met. It is so okay. It's to okay. It is okay. We see it all over social media. Influence is far reaching. People who are very dishonorable, very distasteful, who make jokes about people um, grieving the loss of whether it be uh, celebrities or whether it be just people that you may see in the news mm -hmm. who have um, no context. You've never met them before. Mm -hmm. Allow us to say that it is absolutely okay. okay to grieve people that you've never met. There are many reasons why we grieve people that we never met. Number one, it could be that their work helped us get through a difficult time in our lives. Um, 
Number two, their work inspired our dreams or our goals. Yeah. Number three, they modeled possibility. Number four, their death triggers our grief of previous loss. That's a big thing. And that Kobe, actually, his death actually did that for me. How so? Um, in hearing the death of Kobe as a father, it took me back to reminiscence, reminiscent moments pertaining to the death of my stepfather. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't necessarily send me down a, a spiral or a slippery slope, but I felt the burn again, mm-hmm. just the familiar, mm-hmm. you know, of what it means for a father to go suddenly. Yeah. Absolutely. My father died very abruptly. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad um, had an accident. He had a uh, accident. He hit his head and he ended up transitioning from what um, his surgeons at the time called a uh, subdural hematoma. Mm -hmm. So literally the impact of him hitting his head was the equivalent of a head on collision. So he was swelling and bleeding out mm-hmm. in his in his head, mm-hmm. and when they opened up um, his brain, his skull, um, his doctor said that the impact triggered multiple strokes mm-hmm. on the left hemisphere of his brain. So he was out of here. He was gone, mm-hmm. um, and it was very it was very abrupt. Like of course he was on life support. Um, to await the arrival of family members who uh, were coming in from Chicago Mm -hmm. um, and various other places. But um, that was very, very abrupt. And uh, here I am, a young preacher, and here's what I mean with with wrestling with the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. My father gets into this accident Here I am. Um, I literally had to climb over my father's body. He fell down the steps of our den in my childhood home. Um, I hear him. I go to him. He's not breathing. I have to climb over my father. My father was six foot four, bow legged. I climb over this dude, hit the panic on the Brinks system. Um, When the Brinks called, he gasped for air. Paramedics come, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, he goes into emergency surgery. So I'm here at the hospital, have my oil with me, and I'm I mean, I'm, about to, I'm about to go in and robochet mm-hmm. machine gun tongues. I walk in, see my father, and immediately Holy Spirit says to me, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make mm-hmm. it out of this. He's Yeah, he's not coming back from this ready yourself to handle your family as a preacher I am hearing this as this man's daughter my heart is breaking nobody ever told me how to navigate that it's okay to have questions and a sitness like fam and then they push you to eulogize the individual that was responsible for your rearing and raising. I don't remember that day at all. To this day, there are people who come to me to talk about that day. Yeah. Oh my God, remembering 
what you said in this song. I can't for the life of me cannot remember. And I'm the same. What I preached at my father's funeral. I remember the title of my message, but outside of that, I can't tell you a text. I can't tell you a point. I can't. I can't tell you any of that. Matter of fact, I don't quite remember. I remember what he wore, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't even remember me looking at his coffin mm-hmm. the entire time. I don't. Horrible. It is okay. It is okay to grieve. Yep. It is okay to grieve people that you have never met. But even in that, exercise self care. Mm-hmm. Why is it important? to exercise self-care listen self-care is the best care and if we are not taking care of ourselves you can immediately go down a slippery slope of destruction i lived it my stepfather died in july 2008 i returned back to my undergrad alma mater alma mater and i almost flunked out of school that first semester um literally because grief hit me in September, I busied myself. I threw myself into work. I said, no, let me take care of my mom. Let me make sure that my mom is good. Let me make sure that my stepsisters are straight. Um, I did not permit myself to face the death of my stepfather as a son until I got alone and I was by myself and I almost grieved myself about it here. Um, self-care ensures that your soul does not become fragmented. Self-care ensures that you yourself um, don't end up taking a long walk off of a short bridge. Um, Self-care ensures that you permit your human self to be expressive, but to also be heard wholly. Um, Self-care is an act of intimacy with yourself. Self-care is a divine act that says, I can't do this on my own. Let me take off my Superman cape and let me take off my Wonder Woman crown and let me rely on the one that created me. Um, Self-care is also an act of communal love as well. When you begin to engage in self-care, if you are within healthy environments in healthy community, one or two things will happen. Either those individuals will um, stand in support of you practicing self-care or those individuals will push you to the point to where you need to practice self-care. What do I mean by that? Um, Recently, I had a conversation with an individual that I served with within ministry. Phenomenal person. Loved them with all of my heart. But as a pastor, I immediately identified, hey, they need a break. They need to breathe. Um, So because I am a community with them beyond what we do within the context of church on a Sunday morning or a worship encounter, I literally do life with them. I went to them and said, hey, you need to take a break and I'm I'm going to safeguard you in taking a break, connecting you to a therapist, connecting you to a circle of accountability, connecting you to community that is not necessarily associated with the very thing that you're grieving over. Self-care, it keeps your life in the balance. And I don't think that we have to engage in self-care only when grief happens. Mm -hmm. Engage in self-care when your body is giving you those gentle nudges. We need to rest. Mm -hmm. Resting is an act of self-care. Mindlessness. Mm -hmm. 
playing Angry Birds on your phone. That's an act of self-care. Yes. Um, laying out on your floor and listening to music. That's an act of self-care. Shutting your phone off for 24 hours and saying, I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm not going to answer text messages. I'm not getting on social media. Breaking from social media Listen. is a radical act of self-care. Because we fail to realize that we continue to open up levels of trauma in us by looking at everything that's shared opening every link that's sent to us an act of self-care is to tell the people that you are connected to like hey don't text me anything else concerning this like i can't i can't can't do that that is Mm -hmm. an act of self-care accepting your feelings that's an act of self-care realizing that feelings are neither right or wrong they just are they just are and you have to experience them in their totality that's an act of self-care attempting to stifle your feelings usually leads to an emotional outburst it leads to a physical illness fact from from a a a metaphysical perspective it is believed that all illnesses of the body begin somewhere in the place of your emotions fact so uh all in all the takeaway with this Please, ma'am, please, sir, permit yourself the opportunity to grieve, to deal with your emotions as a man or a woman, but to violently and radically act in self-care. One, I, I think one of the greatest things that we have done together that was an act of self-care, and I don't even think that we were aware of it, we declared that this year... We were going to laugh. Matter of fact, we said it about 2019. Yeah. We're gonna laugh. Do. That was an act of self-care. That's one thing that um within within our siblingship, we not only have individual goals, but we have sibling goals. Yep. And our sibling goal for 2019. We gonna laugh. We are going to laugh. And I think we've hung we've hung on to that joke. Yeah, that's just We've yeah, that's over. That's overarching, and it's kept us from breaking apart. It Has. kept us from breaking up. It kept us from using our influence in toxic, obnoxious, violent Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Before I cuss you out, I'll laugh at you. And that's, that's for real, for real. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Before I get on my podcast and talk about you, I'll laugh. That was December twenty. 20- <laughs> Listen. That was December 2019. What? Jesus Christ. Listen. That was a phone call, and that was like 1.30 in the morning. Jesus. You you know what? You got to have people that will see your name fly across their screen and will answer you and let you talk out the side of your neck at 1.35 in the morning. Listen. And be like, you got it out. Are you done? Okay. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And literally <laughs> laughed. Feel how you feel, woman of God. Feel how you feel. But laugh, let you go to sleep, and you toss and turn, and Holy Spirit wears, wears you, you out. out. Yes. To the point where, fam, you called me the next day, like, uh, 
So let's talk about this. You are right. And it's like, ain't even nothing to talk about, yep. fam. Like, the Lord yep. didn't hit me up. I'm, I'm all right. And I think this segues into, I don't know if this is a mirror, mirror piece. I don't know if we're going down the rabbit hole or what. Um, but hear me. With every level of influence you have, there is a strong mandate of responsibility. Absolutely. There is a strong mandate of responsibility. I don't care what you see. I don't care what you hear. I don't even care what you know. And all of your getting, scripture says even to get understanding. Understanding is a form of wisdom. There is a level of responsibility. And not only that, Paul said, all things have become lawful for me, but they're not expedient. Expedient. They're not good for the advancement, the spiritual advancement of other people. Listen, your influence should be protected by any means necessary because there are people out here who will literally connect themselves to the innocence of your influence in an attempt to substantiate and support their toxicity. Listen. And your name will end up in a whole lot of fugazi and you'll end up in back rooms where people will end up questioning you about stuff that they heard this person that you're connected to said. And you're like, wait, that have nothing to do with me. And now you caught up in being guilty by association. By any means necessary, be responsible in guarding your influence. Uh, absolute blaring reality of that is TMZ with this entire yes. piece yes. of Kobe Bryant yes. meeting his demise. Yes. yes, TMZ, who originally broke the story of Kobe Bryant's death, was condemned by the sheriff's officials for reporting the story before Brian's family family could be notified of the fatal accident. So during the press conference, Los Angeles County Sheriff uh, Alex Villanueva refused to confirm the names of the nine passengers, none of whom survived um, until the coroner identified him but he goes on to say that it would be extremely disrespectful to understand that your loved ones perished and you learned about it from TMZ so it's reported that Vanessa Bryant found out that she lost her at the time her husband and then later her child through TMZ I don't care how much influence you have there is strong responsibility that comes with your influence and don't sacrifice mm-hmm. your influence for the sake of being first to be in the loop. Yes. Because they were even saying that people died that weren't even on the helicopter. Yeah, Rick they Fox. named Rick, Rick Fox what? to the point where Rick Fox's family had to say, uh, listen, he, he fine. He, 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 Hold me over here. Like, he he's good. But our thoughts and prayers are with the Bryant family and those who perished in this accident. Do not allow your need or your craving to be in the loop keep you out of the gap. That's good. Say that again, Martin. 
do not allow uh-huh. your need and craving to be in the loop keep you out of the gap. You don't have to know everything and you don't have to be the first to cosign or validate what's happening Anything. around you. Yep. Fam, mind your business. No, mind your gap. Now, if I see that somewhere. Mind um, mind your gap. Absolutely. Mind your gap. What do we mean by that? Sade just mentioned, don't be so anxious to be in the loop that it keeps you out the gap. Your gap is your space of influence. Your gap is your assignment, your matron. What is it that God has assigned for you to do? Not just talking about us being intercessors because we're, we're, we're multidimensional and being an intercessor is just one facet of who we are. Um, but you're so, so anxious. Some of us are so anxious to be in the loop that we're missing the gap of building our credit scores. Hello. Listen. Writing those books that have been placed in our hands. Listen. Um, you know, building substantial relationships that can open up doors beyond our wildest dreams simply Listen. because we're so anxious to be in the gap. Some of what you're posting is keeping people out of your life. Listen, where are the prophets? Where are the intercessors? The real ones have marked you and said they don't want to be associated with you. Hello. Good Hello. evening. I have I've legit marked you and said, uh-uh. Oh no, we won't go. We won't go. <laughs> I said something earlier today mm-hmm. on uh, social media um, that in light of the unfathomed tragedy of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and those that were um, tragically taken from us. Mm-hmm. I continued to see, but where are the prophets? All of these fruitless, futile conversations. And I went on to say authentic prophets and prophetic types are somewhere balancing life between two worlds. <laughs> They're feeling, we are feeling and sensing the heaviness and the heartache of the creation that we're called to speak to while simultaneously posturing ourselves to hear and to see wisdom for what's ahead. Contrary to popular belief, fam, this is not the judgment of the Lord. And the Father's heart is yearning to speak to those who are hurting. Bible says that God is near to the broken to the brokenhearted. So how oxymoronic is it for you to present a false personification of the character and the nature of God and you don't even talk to him on a regular basis how are you speaking on the behalf of somebody that don't know you well God I cast demons out of your name I prophesied in your name get away from me you worker of iniquity I don't know you we gotta do better man beyond beyond being known Make sure you know him and he knows you. Beyond being known, make sure you know God and God knows you. 
The interesting thing about that statement that you made, it makes me think about Luke 10, 19 mm-hmm. and how we quote um, that, behold, I have given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all of the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. The gotcha gotcha is the following verse 20 in the Passion Translation says, mm-hmm. Rejoice not mm-hmm. that demons listen, listen sin. Oh, yes. and obey you, oh, but yes. rejoice that your name, name has, been, has written. been written in oh, heaven. Oh, yes. It's not about the fact that a demon or principalities or spiritual Hallelujah. forces. It's not that Hallelujah. they obey you. It's the fact that your name is written in heaven. Hallelujah. That you have a record in Gosh. heaven. I can get up Thank and pray Lord. before millions upon millions but of people. But what does my record say? Fam. What, what does my record say? Is your heaven? name recorded what, in what, heaven? Listen. Listen. Ha, ha, has my name been written? And is it in ink, not pencil? My name is written in blood. Komasa! Okay. Listen. Shit. Thank you. Stop majoring in the minor things. Fam, is your name written. recorded? And we all, it baffles me that we, we quote that and we stop at verse 19 and we never drop down. I'm going to give you another one. We never drop down to verse 20. What do you do when you are the snake and the scorpion? Well, okay. Because some of us have have done that. We're no longer sons and daughters. We're not snakes and scorpions. That Jesus has given believers the authority to tread over. Okay. Well, this has been fun. Where can we find you? You can find me on the Book of Faces, mm-hmm. uh, Sharday D. Martin, as well as Sharday Martin Unlimited. You can connect with me through a like, uh, Instagram and Twitter, at Shardamus. Come on, a like. <laughs> Instagram and Twitter, at Shardamus. That's S-H-A-R-D-E-M-U-S. You can also find me online, my website, shardamartin.com to get you together. Where can we find you? You can find me on Facebook um, Broderick L. McBride and you can find me on the Instagram Broderick.McBride and you can find me on my website BroderickMcBride.com Amen! This has been phenomenal. We thank God for you, 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 you and you. Um... Only God can do it. Do. Only God can do it. Do. Do, 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 do. Oh, do. Do, 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 do. Oh, do. That is in my spirit. I'm about to go listen to that. You're going to bump to it all the way home. Bolex Shuffle Lady. Get out. Bye.